Welcome to Playback, a variety podcast. On today's show, we're talking about Variety's 10 Actors to Watch, who will be honored at the Hamptons International Film Festival this weekend, as well as this week's big controversial release, The Birth of a Nation. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Bleed for This and Sully star Aaron Eckhart, so stick around. Okay, everyone, I'm here with Janelle Riley again, and uh, beginning today is the Hamptons International Film Festival. Yes, while you're listening to this, I will be on a plane. You'll be on a plane. Yes. We'll get there safely. Heavily drugged, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we talked about that on the podcast, haven't we? What, that I can't your, fly? Your, your flying thing, because I think there I don't was... have a fear of flying, I have a fear of crashing. Well, that's what I always say. People, <laughs> people say, it's like, I'm not scared of heights, I'm scared of falling from a great height. I also have a little bit of claustrophobia, so being in a metal tube is not easy on <laughs> yeah, me. it's rough. But it's a wonderful airline, I believe, and I will probably finally have time to watch Love and Friendship. Oh, good. Yeah. Delightful little charmer. Well, you'll be there. Uh, you're, you're going to be doing a Q&A with, Q&A with Aaron Eckhart I tomorrow. I am. Variety's cre- uh, Creative Impact. Oh, shoot. I'm going to mess this Variety's up. Variety's Creative Impact in Acting. Honoree. Honoree. Yes. Yes. And obviously, Aaron is in Bleed for This and uh, Sully this year. I'll be talking to Aaron uh, later on in the podcast, actually. So there you go. There's synergy for you. Perfect. Um, but regarding Hamptons, uh, Variety will be unveiling our 10 actors to watch for this year there. Yes. Um, I mean, we've already announced it, but they're featured in this week's issue. And I should say honoring, at- not unveiling them. <laughs> and at least five of them will be in attendance for a Q&A I'll be doing with them on Saturday afternoon. So, yes, Friday I spend with Mr. Aaron Eckhart. Saturday will be with our amazing actors to watch. Uh, super Let's talk excited. about some of these. Uh, well, there's Riz Ahmed, who... I think we both were huge fans of in Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah. And we had actually selected him for this list, I think, before Night Of premiered. Mm -hmm. And so now everyone kind of knows the name a little better. But he's also in Jason Bourne. He's in, obviously, Rogue One. Yeah, coming out Star this Wars year. Out. It's going to be huge. Um, an actor I think I have talked a lot about, and I know my friends are sick to death of hearing his name, <laughs> Mahershala Ali. Yes. Um, so amazing in Moonlight. Um, I think he should be a slam dunk Oscar nominee. Is he, though? I keep wondering. because I thought he was, but the problem is there's the whole cast is fantastic, and it is, yeah. they're all in supporting, yeah. and so it's, it's really hard for a lot of people And he's, like, in one of the... Three yeah. segments. He's in. He, well, I don't in, think any male actor is in more than one segment. True. Yeah. Naomi's the one who's in the yes, whole thing, which gives her an edge. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, and in one thing that works for Mahershala in that movie is he when he's gone, you miss him. Oh, like you keep so wanting much. him to come back. Yeah. You keep thinking like maybe they'll flash back or something. But uh, he's having a hell of a year. He's in Luke yeah. Cage right now. Yeah. He's the villain in that. Uh, he has this indie film called Kicks coming out, and he is Taraji P Henson's love interest in Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he made his film debut as her love interest in Benjamin Button. Well, he should All just keep uh, making out with Taraji on film, I guess. <laughs> he is so fantastic. He was also in Free State of Jones earlier this yes. year, and I thought he was really good in that, actually. And embarrassingly, and I have apologized to him repeatedly, I'm not a regular House of Cards viewer, but right after we announced this list, he received an Emmy nomination for his work on House of Cards in the guest category. He um, was unable to attend the Emmy uh, ceremony they do it the week before the televised oh, Emmys the yeah. because he was in Toronto with Moonlight Ah, yes. but he didn't win anyway so what does it matter Lucas Hedges Lucas Hedges so Manchester fantastic by the Manchester sea. by the Sea is he a nominee do you think I think he's a strong contender a lot of people are I mean, saying he's, that he's 
it's a great character. I mean, a lot of that character is Kenneth Lonergan, just like, mm-hmm. just you can tell in the writing of how he's constructed the character and how the character interacts with people. That's Kenny because yeah. he's just dour and just, he's got this thing, but Lucas nails it and it's kind Fantastic. of a hard disposition to really nail. And uh, he, he's great sparring with Casey in the movie and there's emotional moments mm-hmm. that come for the character that are really unexpected. And, and yeah, I think he's going to be a real strong player. He has one scene in particular where he, I don't think it's giving anything away to just say he's like kind of having a panic attack. Yeah. And it is fantastic. It like, it is so realistic. And that was kind of the moment because I was so into the movie. I didn't think about it at the time, but mm-hmm. looking back, I was like, that was really fantastic. What's great too, is how Casey's handling him mm-hmm. in that scene because Casey's playing a completely different thing there. Like the kid's having his panic attack, but Casey is, uh, in like, oh crap! I don't know how to handle this territory, yeah. and he's which is he what people really do. Well, yeah. As someone who has had panic attacks and been around people with panic attacks, I've seen both sides, yeah. and they nail it. Yeah. And um, speaking of getting on planes, <laughs> yeah, totally. I've witnessed panic attacks on planes. Moonrise Kingdom is, I think that was my favorite Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. when it came. Oh, and Lucas it still is, is in that. I forgot. Is Lucas in that too? Yeah, Lucas is, has a small part. Because I brought Rise it up Kingdom. regarding Kara Hayward. Yes, Kara Hayward is on our list here, but I didn't realize Lucas was in. it. I think Lucas has a small part in it because when wow. I was sort of researching him. Uh, but yes, Kara Hayward was obviously the lead in Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. She is uh, in has a small part in Patterson mm-hmm. this year, but really. Um, is is very good in another small part in Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. There's a lot of great performances in Manchester by the Sea. He knows how to put together actors. John Legend uh, has a small role in La La Land. It is a small role, but it's actually the third biggest role mm-hmm. because that movie is so much Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone mm-hmm. that even though John Legend's role is small, if you actually look at the breakdown of the cast, John Legend is kind of the third lead. Yeah. And uh, we were just talking right before we started recording. He does a lot with his his limited time. Yeah, and he's just very charming and charismatic. And I don't want to give anything away because yeah. I know most people haven't seen the movie. But uh, he has one scene in particular that I, I, I thought, you know, it's not easy to hold your own in your film debut opposite Ryan Gosling. Yeah, totally. Alden Ehrenreich, we're going to be hearing plenty of, obviously. Oh, my God. Rules don't apply. And that was a no-brainer Hail Caesar this year. from Hail Caesar. Yeah. We saw Hail Caesar and we was like, this guy has to go on the list. And then he became the new Han Solo yeah. and has the Warren Beatty movie coming out. What was he in like a year or two ago? That he was, was in, kind of I don't know out? if this is what you're thinking of, but Beautiful Creatures. That's it. That's which what I, was I actually, I saw it on a plane. <laughs> um, so maybe I was heavily drugged, but I actually really like that movie. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I remembered hearing a lot of good things about him in it. Yeah. No, year. he's really good. The lead girl, oh, sorry, woman, is really good. And uh, Emma Thompson is very funny. Like, like I'm. That's a movie I'm a little bummed because I think there were maybe plans for sequels and it just didn't do that well. I'm just going to read a couple of these last ones. Uh, Tavi Gevinson. Yes. From uh, on stage in the Crucible. I saw her in the Crucible. She was fantastic. And we have uh, Anna De Armas. Yes. Hands of Stone and War Dogs. Yes. Will be in Blade Runner. Rachel Brosnahan. Yes, again, who most people know from House of Cards. Should be in uh, Patriots Day later this year. Yes, which I'm, you know, have have really hopeful expectations for. We talked about it last week. We we like Peter Berg. Indeed. I'm saying again, Peter, please do my podcast. (laughs) Aja Naomi King for, uh, she's in How to Get Away with Murder on TV, and she's also in Birth of a Nation, which is coming out this week, Mm -hmm. finally, after everything. I'm so curious to see how it does. Did you see Nate Parker's 60 Minutes interview? (sighs) I did. (laughs) I, it's it's 
I, I mean, I have so many emotions and feelings about the subject of Birth of a Nation, a movie both of us really liked. Mm-hmm. I think neither one of us was expecting to like as much as we did. Right. Um, and I, I it, it is painful to watch Nate Parker self-destruct. He seems to be doing everything wrong. He is. And, and the way he's answering questions. Uh, I, I guess they did this interview initially in June and had to right. come back to all the, the controversy. That was weird how they cut it together, too, because they tried to act like it was one interview. But he clearly, you know, he had a mustache in the yeah. more recent one. He looked about and 30 he, years older. He acted differently, too. Yeah, yes. he was so happy in the June stuff and in, yeah. in the and obviously the more It's strange morose. to me that 60 Minutes of all people. Missed that? Yeah. Oh, I mean, did they miss it or did they choose not to? bring it up in June because I can't imagine everyone they would, they knew. would not have they would not have it I mean I don't know look news media today yeah. is entertainment so it's like even a, a, a beacon like 60 minutes can do something stupid like that but I think they, they might have just not seen it yeah they, they saw this great story of a black filmmaker telling a black story and how well it did and Sundance and all of that and uh, Which they was expected the narrative. it to be a much different yeah. story. <laughs> that was the narrative people were going with for a long time until, gosh, about a month ago. Yeah. And now we're just left with seeing how the public's going to re- respond, if at all, to yeah. this movie. I weirdly, I don't know about you, but I never wavered in believing that it would still be a factor in the Oscar race mm-hmm. because it is such a good movie. And um, the, the, the power of the film itself. And with, you know, so many Best Picture nominations between five and ten, mm-hmm. I figured it would get in. Now I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how radioactive something like that becomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have said it here before, I've had conversations with voters who really just aren't looking deeply into that. They kind of want to look at the art, not the artist kind of a deal. But, you know, the bottom line is if the movie comes out tomorrow and just tanks, well, there's just nothing to build on. Yeah. And so we'll just have to see how that goes. I would like to just say, I don't know what your personal feelings are and what you've read in the media about this case, but if you have an interest in seeing this movie, I think you should see this movie. It's, it's a, a great really movie. good movie. So, yeah. Um, I made the joke, I feel like, maybe on one of our first podcasts, that the person who benefits the most from the Birth of a Nation scandal might be Mel Gibson, because he has a movie coming out this year. Yeah, he does, and, and he's kind of on the forgiveness tour. And <laughs> I just you, you saw, saw Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah? I just did. I was so unprepared for how much I would love it. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I like all genres, but war films are probably my least favorite genre. Um, because of the violence, or because of what? I, it's partially the violence. Again, I have no problem with violence as long as it's not against dogs. Right. But, um, it's like I don't know that there's anything new to uncover. Yeah. In a war movie. Uh, there's um, a lot of tropes that just get exactly. kind of rehashed. Um, and I, uh, I've i always thought Andrew Garfield is a good actor. He's mm-hmm. particularly fantastic. I saw him on stage in Death of a Salesman. Mm-hmm. So I really knew what he could do. But, you know, I don't know that I've seen him as really the lead of a movie carrying a film. Yeah. He's you got know? a pair of them this year. He's got yeah. silence on the way. So I just did not. I thought that. And I know Mel Gibson is a great filmmaker. I actually really love Apocalypto. I, it's amazing. It's Apocalypto is a fantastic movie. I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. So I expected it to be a good movie. I don't think I expected greatness. Yeah. And the story that it tells, you know, of this conscientious 
conscientious conscientious objector. objector. (laughs) I haven't had my coffee yet. Who, you know, wanted to go to war to be an army medic, but Mm -hmm. refused to carry a gun. You know, the first half of the movie is almost a little like courtroom drama to some Mm -hmm. extent where they want to court martial him and, Mm -hmm. and there's humor in it. Like they're like you, you're. There's some era cheese going on early yeah. on where you're establishing the characters a little bit too. It kind of because it's like G golly forties territory. In yeah. A but once it gets into the the actual battle, <sighs> yeah, it's brutal um, of Hacksaw Ridge. It's it's uh, a lot of those tropes come into play. You know the Saving Private Ryan stuff. A lot and you of know, that. I I really do not like Saving Private Ryan. Really? So for me to like love this movie as much as I did. Why don't you like Saving Private Ryan? Oh my gosh, William Goldman actually wrote an excellent essay um, years ago that nailed all my feelings about it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, look, as an achie- as a directorial achievement, it's amazing. The, the acting is fantastic. But like, <laughs> I would just say read William Goldman's article. Yeah. It sort of sums it up for me. But I, know, again, I have a feeling I agree with some of it. I've always yeah. thought it's on a bit of a pedestal. I mean, the, um, the bookends I have a real problem with. I want everyone to know that the lights just turned off. <laughs> but but and, we didn't and, even blink. And we didn't blink. We just went we with it. We cannot see each other right now. <laughs> that is not a bad thing. I am, I mean, no offense to you. I, am, I look I am, great. I don't yeah, know about No, you. you're fantastic. You don't look like a <laughs> newborn's father who hasn't slept in days at all. But Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, yeah, when it gets into the into the gnarly stuff, and there are gnarly moments in the movie, but it, it, it ends up in a very emotional place, too, yes. obviously, when it inevitably transitions to the real life the story is just phenomenal Desmond Doss a name that I feel like should have been taught in schools Mm -hmm. and I'd never heard of him I mean the fact that he saved 70 people in that battle (sighs) at least 70 without a gun yeah Uh, and um did you like Vince Vaughn in it no did you I did I thought he was woefully miscast but I love Vince Vaughn it just I was looking at the guy from Swingers yeah aged a couple of years and playing this drill sergeant it didn't really work for me and I I didn't love Hugo Weaving either as his father I didn't at first because it is I'm not gonna lie like it is very heavy handed Mm -hmm. in the beginning and very like it softens up though yeah yes it it gets a lot more subtle yeah um and Hugo Weaving won me over yeah well, it'll be interesting to see how that does. It's a Lionsgate movie we've talked about. They have a lot of movies this year. There's nothing else like it this year, I feel like. I think it could do mm-hmm. really well. It's got crazy great reviews. You liked it. You probably didn't love it as much as I Not did. Not as much I, as you did, but I did yeah. like it. And, I, and it's because Mel Gibson knows how to make a movie. And he does. You see, there's certain filmmakers, when you see them make a movie, you, you can tell that they know how to visually storytell. Mm-hmm. And and he knows how to do it really well. And we talked about Apocalypto. I that was one of my favorite movies that year. Andrew Garfield mentioned I spoke to him last week, and that was like one of the movies he brought up. And I was like, I'm so happy you brought that yeah. up because it does not get enough credit. Uh, best actor? Should he be in the conversation? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think he should too. But and you know, it might be one of those things where he's amazing in silence as well. And yeah. does that become? Yeah. You know, so so I don't know if he'll be nominated for Hacksaw. Um, having not seen Silence, maybe that'll override it. But I, he plays a tough part because he's Jimmy Stewart in the first part. Yeah. You know, and then I don't even know what you would say he is in the second part. It's a unique movie, a unique, yeah. a unique story. And funnily enough, I'm talking to Andrew next week on the podcast. You are! So, oh. nice little plug for next week. Uh, in the meantime, stick around for Aaron Eckhart this week. We'll be right back.
If you let me do the fusion, I can guarantee you'll be able to walk again. I need to be able to fight again. Me? And not fuse in my neck. We're not done here, Vinny. The whole world outside the ring. We're getting pretty sick of people talking about me like I'm dead. Kev, I'm gonna fight again. No, you ain't, Vinny. Vinny, no, no. You just don't know how to give up. No, I know exactly how to give up. You know what scares me, Kev? Is that it's easy. Come on, this is insane. We Show me how you do things. Show me how you live. Show me how you fight. Show me who you are. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Aaron Eckhart, who uh, probably was excited to see that Telluride Film Festival lineup this year. Had both of your films there. Thanks for coming here, first of all. I uh, appreciate you, you being much. on the show. Uh, what do you think of Telluride? That's my favorite festival I go every year. What did you think? I had a great time. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, because it's just a, such a beautiful place when you're flying in there and all the beautiful Aspens and, you know, the gondola and the beautiful sort of Main Street. Um, so it was a pleasure to go there, first of all. But then, mm-hmm. as you said, I had two movies there, um, Sully and Bleed for This. And um, I love both of the films and was there with great people. And yeah. um, I couldn't imagine a better scenario. Yeah, world premieres for each. That's right. Uh, you know, I want to start with Sully. That's the movie in theaters now. People can go see it now. People are seeing it, obviously. I think it's doing pretty well at the box office so far. And Bleed mm-hmm. for This is around the corner. But working with uh, Mr. Eastwood, you know, I'm always curious because he has uh, a different kind of workflow, I think, kind of the one, two takes, move on kind of a thing. And I'm, I'm always curious how, it, how actors respond to that. Do you ever feel like you'd like a couple more cracks at it, or does it instill confidence to be that thrifty? Well, I think that... Um you know, going into it, obviously, Clint is a, a whole different animal. I mean, he uh, is an icon. He's been working in this business 60-plus years at the top. He knows what he's doing. He's an Academy Award-winning director. Um, there is, um, uh, you know, there's an admiration for him built into him that, that other directors just don't have, you know. Uh, so you go in there uh, very, very um, compliant. Um, and you want to please him. He also surrounds himself um, with his family. You know, I mean, his crew has done multiple films with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, he has a reputation, but he also has implicit trust in the people who he hires. And you know that going in. He hires the best. And um, and so he his whole thing about rehearsal and, and, and takes is, I've hired you. I have total trust in your ability to give me what I want. And, um, and so just do what you do. Mm-hmm. There's never any talk about one or two takes. It's, you know, Clint said to me many times, he, says, he goes, I know what I have. And, you know, um, I know when you've, you've given me what I want. Um, and you just don't question that. There were times when I felt like I needed another one uh, and he gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sense of the sense on the set is it's just so easy it's so effortless um everybody's working at their best and um you know you you get into a rhythm really quick and and you learn to to you know trust yourself um in 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 these circumstances and and so it's never you never feel like you're being robbed of takes you feel like um rather you feel like you're being led into the family yeah and um for an actor obviously that's the most important thing because 
trust is the most important atmosphere on a set. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes directors don't know how to um, uh, create that sense of trust, that safety zone, you know, where you can do whatever you want to do. Also, we have Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. who is... Um, you know, one of our greatest actors who's given us some of our greatest films and performances. And um, so here, you know, you have Clint, so he's the general, and then you have Tom. And um, everybody's working off these two guys. Mm-hmm. I'm working off Tom the whole time. I'm doing what Tom does. Uh, so, so he's setting the tone on the set for the performance, for the performance of the film, you know, and he's working with Clint. So I learned in this sort of Circumstance. I learned pretty pretty quickly in my career what to do, which is lay back, watch, observe, see what Clint, how Clint works, see how Tom works, and then I just sort of, um, I just sort of work my way into that, and it works out pretty good. I've always heard that he doesn't really call action; that it's just like, all right, here we go, and you just kind of go into the scene. Is that true? Does he still? Uh, Oh yeah, that's true, and that's That's interesting. One, that's a great thing because I guess the story is that um, when he was doing his television show, Clint, early in his career, they were always on horses, and they reacted. uh, They reacted. They would always scare the horses. So Clint finally said, "Why don't you just, you know, put up your finger or something, and we'll go right into it, so you don't scare the horses." Um, And it really works because, you know, in real life, when we're talking, when you start of this interview you didn't say action <laughs> right. you know people don't say action when they when we're talking I mean it's um it's sort of um uh, an unnatural thing that movies have um you know and, and with Otto Preminger and all these guys in the past with the bullhorns and all that yeah. sort of stuff that does nothing to create atmosphere on the set and um you know actors prepare for a scene and a lot of times this preparation includes deep emotion and, and you know hurt sensitivity all this sort of stuff and when you when you when you get all that and you're ready to go and then somebody yells action and it's not even usually the director it's the first ad yeah um it 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 disturbs that emotion that you that preparation that you've created so um and and it feels like work when mm-hmm. you yell action or cut. Mm-hmm. And Clint doesn't do that, so it never feels like work. And I think when I was with uh, doing Aaron Brockovich uh, with Soderbergh, I don't think he, he did either. Oh, really? Yeah, it was just a very easy. And, you know, the way with Clint is that after the day's done, whether that day's a six-hour day, an eight-hour day, or a 12-hour day, you never feel like you were at work. Mm-hmm. You feel like you just went to have fun with a bunch of guys and girls, you know. Everybody knows each other, and... Um, and I think it's reflective in the performances. Yeah. I was just on the set of a Western recently, and they mentioned that, actually, that the, horse, that right? the horses will kind of react to that. Yeah. Um, you know, both of these films, you're playing real people. Uh, you're playing uh, Kevin Rooney, the great boxing uh, trainer, and Bleed for This, and uh, the unsung co-pilot, Jeff Skiles and, and, and Sully. Uh, where is the line, I'm curious, between, you know... Uh, uh, accuracy and essence I guess you know there's you want to be true to the real people but you also are playing characters who have dramatic thematic purposes yeah so. I think what the responsibility for an actor is um, there's two responsibilities one is to um, not ruin the person's life mm-hmm. that you're playing you know because these movies are seen by millions of people yeah. and you want to you want it so that they can be proud of the film and that they can go see it and talk to their friends about it and, and feel good about it. Um, in order to um, uh, tick off that box, uh, you know, you, obviously you have to do research and get as close to that person as you possibly can. In the in the uh, in both of these instances, with Bleed for This and Soli, I wasn't able to be with them. 
Mm. Uh, Jeff Skiles uh, is an active pilot today, so he was working and didn't have time. And um, Kevin Rooney was in the hospital with um, dementia. So I had to go on the internet. I had to find everything I could, all the old interviews, um, get close to the people. And, and for Bleed for this, I, 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 I worked out with his son. I, I went, uh, Freddie Roach, the great boxing trainer, allowed me to be a fly on the wall in his training camp with Pacquiao versus Bradley. Mm-hmm. And I, I was at his camp every single day. And, um, and then I went to Vegas for the fight. I was ringside. I was in the hotel before. I was in the, um, I was in the locker room before and after. Um, so any way I could get connected with boxing, I also met all the promoters. I met, you know, um, all those characters, you know. Um, and so that's how I got into Kevin Rooney. Um, and I stayed with him 24 hours a day. I had his voice in my head. I had his, he's got a lot of tape on him um, when he was with Tyson um, and then afterwards. And then for Jeff Skiles, I, um, you know, I talked to Jeff on the phone um, and then I did my research again. You know, you have, the great thing about it is you have a script, right? And mm-hmm. you, no matter what, you have to abide by the script. So you have a template, you have a guideline, a blueprint. Um, you can get away with behavior. I'm never going to give you exact behavior, but I'm going to I'm going to give you as close as I possibly can. For example, Kevin Rooney, the way he stands, the the way the the look, um, the way he talks, um, that's pretty close. Um, I mean, I pretty I worked really hard to get that close. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, you know, with Jeff Skiles. You know, I, I think I, I did okay with that, too. And um, uh, sooner or later, the real people, they have to um, they have to buy into the fact that this is a movie mm-hmm. and that we're actors and we're not going to get it perfect and it's not going to be the exact story or exactly what they did. That's just not possible. Um, but I think that I try to get it as close as I possibly can. Yeah. And with Bleed, you uh, you know, your, your dashing good looks had to take a back seat because you've got the, the big receding hair. Yeah. And uh, did you put on weight for that one, too? Yeah, I put on about 40 pounds wow. for that. That's, I uh, just went to an, uh, another version of good looking. In that, <laughs> there you go. You know, That's some, a good way to put it. Some some uh, some women, you know, dig that look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but more so. I mean, I think when people talk about the weight and the hair and stuff like that, they say, "Oh, it's you know," they they look at it in terms of what I did as an actor. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is how do you get close to the real Kevin Rooney? Mm-hmm. You know, this was the state that he was in, and he wasn't always like that. He was a boxer. He was yeah. a good boxer, trained with Customato. He had a, he had an amateur and professional career. But after Don King took um, took over Tyson and and put you know Kevin Rooney out on the street, um, he he was a big drinker, a gambler. He lost his way. He got depressed. Um, you know, he really didn't have a career after that. So his weight and his attitude was a reflection of what was going on in his life. Yeah. And um, me gaining the weight and doing that put me in that mindset. I was going to ask if it's some, if it, that kind of thing, when you go through a physical transformation, if it uh, just only helps you further or if it feels like another layer you kind of have to act through. Oh, no, no. But for you, it's... Uh, exactly yeah. the opposite, yeah. in fact. Uh, anything that you can do, anything that, any impediment that you can give yourself as an actor that allows you to not act, 
to not have to think about that thing is great. Um, For example, uh, and Kevin Rooney, he has a particular walk, and this walk is a result of his weight and his mindset. Um, He's back on his heels. He doesn't move his upper body a lot. He just uses his arms. He doesn't do too much movement. That's all a reflection of of his his physical, um, uh, the weight and all that. Mm -hmm. So... If I put on the weight and then go back on my heels, then I don't have to think about that anymore. I can concentrate on what's in front of me, Miles or, or Vinny Pazienza or, or what I have to do in the scene. So, um, and even if the if the audience doesn't see the impediment, for example, if you put a rock in your shoe, you know, something as simple as that, and I have a limp, yeah, why wouldn't I put a rock in my shoe? Yeah. then I can forget about the limp. The limp is going to be natural, right? Because I don't want to step on a rock in my shoe and it's going to be a better experience for the audience. So I'm into that. Totally. And you've played with your look before. You talked about Aaron Brockovich earlier. You had the biker mane going on. Yeah, the hair. um, I've gained weight three times over 45 pounds for your friends and neighbors and then another movie I did. And, um, you know... uh, each time it's put me in the mindset of the character. And also, when I look into the mirror in the makeup trailer or, or at home, I don't see me anymore. Yeah. I see this other thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I see the character. And, and, and people see the character. The other actors do, too. And that's the one thing about green screen or computer generated. Like, for example, in Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I for Two Face I had makeup on this side of my face, but it wasn't the computer computer generated makeup that I that the film eventually got to. So, let's say that you're Gary Oldman or you're Christian or whoever, um, and you have to see Two Face's face for the first time. Had you seen that computer-generated face, you would have had a, a different reaction because it would have been horrifying, right? Because yeah. it was so good. So. It's also good for actors who are playing opposite you so that they don't have to act, that they can truly be horrified or feel however they need to feel about you as an actor. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's been a tool since, you know, I mean, Bela Lugosi, Shakespeare, since the Greeks, Certainly. right? That's why the two, the, the masks, right? Absolutely. Well, you mentioned your friends and neighbors there. I wanted to venture out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Did you have trouble getting dates after In the Company of Men? Yes, I, 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 from the second, that movie, 1997, was in Sundance, and nobody had seen the film. Coming up on 20 years, that's it crazy. Is 20 years I've been in this game, pro, and, um, wow, and, uh. Sorry, didn't mean I, to put a number on it. No, I know, you, I had, actually, I just, I'd been thinking about that, yeah. because I'm 48, and I got into, started doing movies, I was 27 when I did that movie, and. But it's been a good 20 years. It's been an interesting 20 years for me. Um, but your friends and neighbor are in the company of men. They came out of Sundance. You know, the people that saw it came out. And there I got the reactions. I mean, just, I mean, if they could have spit it on me, they would have. <laughs> yeah. And um, I did have one instance where, I don't know if it was months or years after, in the company of men, a, a girl comes up to me. She goes, she, and she was working with me. For in some way, and she says, she said, um, she said, I don't know why, but I just had this anger, you know, <laughs> towards you, and I didn't know why, and I just felt sick when I would look at where sick was the wrong word, but you know, when I look at you, and she goes, I realized that it was from me in the company of men. It's a compliment, man. Yeah, I mean, in that case, yeah, <laughs> basically. And my actually, my my girlfriend at the time, um, who's actually in the movie, uh, uh, Emily Klein, she. Uh, 
her mom called her up after the first time she saw that movie and she goes she's like i don't know if i can trust Aaron anymore <laughs> so i mean that's the power of of the movies you yeah know, that's the the power of the script that neil wrote it's a gnarly piece of work I, yeah. I love it so much uh, i think i saw it in film school for the first time so naturally i was oh, just did? like whoa yeah but uh you think you'll work with neil again he's been doing some tv lately i, think. I, I just talked to neil yeah. the other day um neil's doing a play he wants to do a play on broadway and asked if i wanted to be in it and um unfortunately i can't but we're still very good friends and you know neil's been very very good to me uh and um you know he always tries to include me in whatever he's doing uh the problem is it's just that you know schedules and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff but we will definitely work again awesome i want to talk about any given sunday okay wow. uh, I, i'm a huge fan of any given sunday i hope you had a good time making the movie because <laughs> i would like to talk about okay. it it's one of those movies it's, it's so busy and like to me a good way it's like it looks like he shot a ton of film and like what's laying around that's not in the movie you know oh my gosh uh working with oliver stone what was that experience like for you i loved it you know shooting a lot of film i guess in those it was on film right um he had three units working at all times oliver i remember one time i was way up in the in the in the in the coach's box up at dallas stadium and i get up there and and um the other people were there to do the scene and and but oliver wasn't there and i was like it was a pretty major scene you know i was like it's <laughs> like when's oliver coming because oliver's in the locker room shooting jamie fox they're doing this Let's, so like a lot of times oliver wasn't there wow because he was hooked into the monitor and blah 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 so we did that scene without oliver um but that's his style. I mean, the whole thing. I'll tell a story. You like stories? Yeah, I do. Let's hear it. Uh, we shot in on Miami Beach. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was an SH, um, you know, uh, pound sign T show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, I went to set in the beginning, and I wasn't working that day. I just went to go look at it, and out in the fields, um, Pacino was was working, and they were shooting a scene, uh, a football scene. He was coaching, and and Dennis Quaid was over there, and and Oliver comes up to me, and he goes, he goes, "You ready for the big time, Aaron?" <laughs> I was like, well, I'm already scared of Oliver, right? <laughs> so I was like, um, "Okay, yeah, sure." And he goes, "Go out there and say something to Al." And I go, Oliver, I, I'm not even working today. I, go, I hadn't been through makeup. I wasn't in <laughs> costume or anything. He goes, he goes, go out there and say something to him. I go, so he, I guess he didn't care. So I go out there and I have no idea what to say to Al. <laughs> you know, Al's, you know, Al doesn't know anything about football, right? You know, at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah so we're, we're doing a scene. And, and then so Oliver goes, go over there in the background and, uh, and coach these players, right? These big football players. So I was like, okay. And what happens is that they're, um, you know, one of the coaches would throw the ball to the other. They'd run and give the, drop the, the, the ball off and we'd throw it and they would just go around in a circle. And um, so we're doing it. And, you know, Oliver says action. We're way in the background. And, and, uh, and halfway through the scene, these guys quit. They quit the doing their little practice, and I freaked. <laughs> you know, I'm their coach, right? Yeah. So I get up in their faces, and I go, if you guys ever quit again, if you ever stop, I didn't tell you to stop, I'm going to, you know, blah, 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 right? Well, these football players had no idea who I was. <laughs> They had no idea what was going on. So all was the film rolling on all of this? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Oh, yeah. We were in the middle of the scene. And, and so one of the football players comes up to me and goes, you ever talk to me like that again? I'm going <laughs> to kick your, you know. And I said, 
I'm your coach. I'm an actor. You know, <laughs> Oliver never introduced me to anybody. Oh, and so, and then finally, when they when they said, I said, I'm playing the offensive coordinator in this movie. <laughs> then they all, you know, we all had a good laugh. Great about first it. impression. But that's the way Oliver works, and there's a there's a method to his madness. I mean, he really gets people to just go crazy and to give their best, and he creates this atmosphere that it's a it's a it's an animal atmosphere that you know, uh, you know, because you know football. The reason why you like that movie, I'm sure. I mean, you tell me is that it's just it's madness. I mean, football is oh, madness. All the gladiator, the Ben the Hare gla- stuff they cut into it. I mean, yeah. it's it's the essence of it. Is, and yeah. he creates that offset. Yeah. So the whole set is like that. Um, you know, people don't know what they're doing. People and he shoots forever. We were doing 20 hour days for weeks and weeks. Wow. Um, but he gets results, and that's why Oliver's so great. Um, I would definitely work with him again. Uh, 20 years later, I'd, I'd know a little bit more than I knew then, you know, because I had just come off um, in the company of men. But it was a great time. Uh, you a football fan? Oh, yeah. Who's your team? Raiders. Raiders? Yeah. Okay. So what do you think of the Rams being back here? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm, uh, I would prefer that they create L.A.'s own team. Yeah. You know, I know that the, the Rams were here at one time, but, you know, I – I like that they're building a sta- stadium in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. I like that so that everybody can participate and it, we don't have to go out for yeah. it. Um, I like football. I love football, so I'm happy that they're here. I'm still a Raiders fan, and if Raiders go to the Vegas, I'm, I'm still going to be a Raiders fan. Yeah. Yes, or you're from uh, Cupertino, right? Yeah. You're from up yeah. that way. So. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight you mentioned earlier, I think it looms large on you know anybody's filmography that was a part of that film. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on just the ballooning sort of uh, comic book franchise status quo of the industry right now. You were kind of a part of the most ideal scenario with that. You, you This auteur filmmaker who had a blockbuster sensibility dictated what he wanted to do with his trilogy and then got yeah, out of it. Chris is an independent filmmaker at yeah. heart who makes the biggest movies in the world. Yeah. So he, the the essence or the atmosphere on the set is an independent film. Yeah. But you have three of the largest green screens on the planet. You have two of the only IMAX cameras made. I mean, uh, you know, the Batmobile, all this art. But he does it as an independent filmmaker. And he is, as you said, an auteur. He's the closest thing that I've ever seen to what I felt like Hitchcock was. Uh, the consummate filmmaker. The consummate storyteller with his own style. Chris, and then we had Heath who is giving a performance uh, that wasn't a superhero performance. That was uh, a psychotic uh, villain performance, a psychotic... Like a method performance. 100%. Of, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was real. It was visceral. You know, it, it, you know, he wasn't putting on a show for the comic book. He was... I mean, anybody that can take the joke, Jack Nicholson's Joker, and then make it his own has done a good job. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris really gave us a novel for a script. When I read that script, it was the scenario where some guy goes to your house and waits in the garage, in the driveway while you read the script. <laughs> and I thought, how can, okay, I'll be Two-Face, but how can you possibly, with all these other characters, can there be any room for character development as Two-Face? And it was all there. I mean, it was a novel. Um, he managed to put all these subplots and characters and give them all something to do, make them real characters, and um, and weave them in the story. Um, you know, 
as you said, that's it was different. That trilogy, because of Chris, uh, I, I think had more depth to it. It had more social importance, mm-hmm. um, especially look at t- what's going on today, this very day. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, so I don't know that the other filmmakers out there are doing have the vision that Chris does. Yeah. And I don't know if they're trying to solve the same problems that Chris is and trying to teach us like Chris is. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, here you have Gotham City that is being overrun by a mob, by a personality, you know. Um, people are afraid to walk the streets. The old lady can't go out. The police force is either bought off or scared. Um, these are real issues that are going on today. Um, and, you know, uh, the threat was very, very real in The Dark Knight. I don't know that the threat is as real in other super superhero movies. Yeah. I don't know if they even have the intention of doing it. Well, and the goal seems to be everything is shackled by IP really. It's it's kind of like we need this thing that has a fan base that we can create a product around and that's what it feels like in the industry today. You know, I don't know how much teaching is being done yeah. in superhero films. Yeah. I don't know. Now, I'm 48. I'm not 13 years old. Go. I mean, right. I went to Greece, man. I went to Rocky. But when I saw Rocky, I went out of there going, I can do it if I want. Well, that's one of the themes. Um, you know, David versus Goliath. You know, all these things that it made me a better person, Rocky did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, and you could tell me maybe better. This. Are these kids going out of those movies better people? Are they learning something? Are they using it in their real lives? Um, it's a fair question. What are movies for? Yeah. You know, one thing about Sully, bringing it back to Sully, is, you know, when I read comments, you know, if I'm on Twitter or whatever it is, you know, reading comments about the film, people I think are are getting something from the film. Um, and, and the same thing with Bleed for this. You know, Vinny was a was a champ, broke his neck, and 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 out of his own desire, this maniacal desire to box, he built himself back up and became mm-hmm. five time champ. Mm-hmm. I can learn something from that. Um, so. I don't look at things like an alien movie or uh, a superhero movie or a drama or a comedy. If somebody dies in an alien movie, it's the same to me as they die in a, in a drama. Mm-hmm. It's the same act things that actor um, you know flags that go off in my head. I'm going to treat that as a real death. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that maybe that's why I am where in my career because <laughs> I haven't gotten the freaking message. But um, so you're not compelled then to to join into these big cinematic universes no. and be a part of no yeah no, i'm more compelled to go direct and write my own voice and find my own voice i don't need to have um look i mean as we said i'm 20 years into this i'm getting older um my whole thing would be to teach kids to um to be better people and to have the tools to weather the storms that are coming through adolescence and you know I've always I have in fact an idea to write my own superhero movie but it has nothing to do with superpowers it has to do with um, I don't even want to say but it's it's tools that kids if they learn them today as kids they're they're there's 
social interaction tools that if they apply these they actually can feel like superheroes yeah um, interesting yeah. well I wanted to ask you because we were starting to and I'll close here we were starting to talk at the beginning before we recorded uh, about the project you were trying to get off the ground as mm. a director so that's you're interested in, in oh yeah creating definitely I feel that you know yes I want to tell stories um, I want to have my own voice out there I also don't want to I want to be free I want to do what I want to do in the movies and not have any tell me, tell me that I can't do it. Yeah. Um, I also want to work with actors. I, I want to... What I'm looking for in a director is, yes, the atmosphere of trust and all that sort of stuff, but I want a director to say it's not good enough. Go further. Go further. You can do better. You can do better. You can do better. And push me, even if it hurts, so that afterwards, when we see the product... I say, wow, I didn't know I was capable of that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I work with actors and I look at other actors and I, I look at the demands or the lack of demands that, actors put, that directors put on actors because directors oftentimes do not know what to say or how to push an actor. Oftentimes, directors are afraid of actors. So the actors aren't getting the best of the director. You know... Um, and I would like to take actors and push them hard so that we can get to a place that we never imagined so the audience can go, damn, that was real. I felt that. I think a great example of that is um, is 13, the movie 13 by um, oh, yeah. Catherine um, Hardwick. Mm-hmm. You know, she told me, I was working with her, not on a movie, but something else, and, and she told me that, and, and, and you know, you're, you're taking people and giving them the best performances of their lives. What did it take to do that? How did the actors buy into it? Did it hurt? Was it uncomfortable? Um, because I'm okay with uncomfortable. I'm okay with pain. Uh, you know, if it gets us closer to where we want to be. Um, and uh, so that's why I want to direct. Awesome. Well, good luck with that, man. Hope you do it. And uh, good luck with these two films. Everybody go see Sully. Believe for this is around the corner. And thanks again for coming by today, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. Variety.